It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka. Today is Monday, April 11th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. The name of Baranoff Elementary School in Sitka will remain unchanged for the time being. The Sitka School Board on Wednesday evening voted down a motion to rename the school Charlie Joseph Sr. Audigon Hit. They voted 4-1 to one with member Paul Ryu opposed. The vote was largely a formality as the board remains interested in a name change for the building. At its next regular meeting in May, the board will discuss how to proceed. Board member Blossom Teal Olson suggested asking the Sitka tribe to form a name change committee and to propose three names that could then be put before the community. Although there was much support for the name Charlie Joseph Sr. Adigan hit within the tribal community, there wasn't consensus and some testified that the name change process undertaken over the past year was flawed. When the school board convenes next in May, it will be under new leadership. Board President Amy Morrison is leaving Sitka and submitted her resignation, effective May 18. In a secret ballot, the remaining board members named Andrew Hames as the new president of the board. The Assembly has signaled support for funding the Sitka School District budget to the CAP, or Maximum Allowable by State Law. When the group met on Thursday, it voted to formally notify the school board of its funding allocation. It's over $8.8 million. That number includes $7.9 million in instructional funding and nearly $1 million in non-instructional funding. It also includes up to $500,000 in secure rural schools funds if those funds are reauthorized. That's money the city gets from the federal government to pay for schools and road maintenance. Mayor Stephen Eisenweiss pointed out that with the addition of these non-instructional items, the Assembly would be funding Sitka schools in excess of the state's cap of $7.9 million. And so we're at 8.8. So we're funding almost a million dollars over the cap. And I think that's a very important part uh, of the conversation as we go forward. The maximum local contribution to schools, or the cap, applies only to instructional expenses. In recent years, Sitka's assemblies have approached non-instructional expenses differently, sometimes counting them against the cap and sometimes not. One of the most important policy decisions taken by the Alaska Board of Fisheries last month was taking no action on a slate of six competing proposals for herring management in Sitka. Three of those proposals came from the Sitka tribe and three from commercial saners. After over two days of testimony and committee work, the parties submitted a joint one-sentence note withdrawing their respective proposals. KCW's Catherine Rose explains why. The six herring proposals that were pulled from consideration were hotly debated by stakeholders in Sitka in the months leading up to the Board of Fisheries meeting, but just two days into the meeting they were withdrawn. During public testimony on March 12th, Steve Reifenstuhl with the Southeast Herring Conservation Alliance, which represents the interests of commercial seining fishermen, said the decision came after negotiations concluded the night before with the Sitka Tribe of Alaska. I would like to thank all the parties that worked so hard to come to an agreement on these proposals. Um, and I would like to thank the, the board members that were involved uh, late last night uh, working on this uh, same compromise. And uh, it was a difficult uh, task, and, uh, but we all worked diligently and we arrived at a consensus to withdraw this proposal. 
three proposals from STA would have changed the way the state sets the herring harvest rate and limit the harvest of older herring in the commercial fishery. The proposals from the Saners Advocacy Group would have required permitting subsistence harvesters and allowing the reopening of some closed waters to seining. Months earlier, the Sitka Fish and Game Advisory Committee discussed each proposal at length, took public testimony, and ultimately voted to support only one of the tribe's proposals. Sitka AC Chair Heather Bauscher told the Board of Fish she was relieved that the groups had finally come to the table. Given how long this has been going on, I'm really grateful and excited to see that there was an agreement made yesterday and both parties are talking to each other based on the conversations I had this morning. There's many folks that have been involved in this for a long time that view that as a victory. Nevertheless, the abrupt withdrawal of the six controversial proposals did not feel like a resolution to some. Sitka resident Matthew Jackson said he wished the board had taken up the matter. And uh, I'm not a party to either of the uh, STA or the Sitka Herring Conservation Alliance. Um, but I did want to state for the record uh, that I think there would be uh, value in having the board on the record for these uh, and not withdrawing them. Uh, I know I speak for plenty in the audience. I just want that to be on the record that uh, there's value in having the board take a position on these on the record and, and deliberating on the pros and cons of these. And KCAW reached out to representatives from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and the Southeast Herring Conservation Alliance for clarification on why the items were pulled and what was negotiated. In an email, STA General Manager Lisa Gassman said STA has no comment at this time. In an interview with KCAW, Chip Trinan of the Herring Conservation Alliance said some Board of Fish members had urged the Alliance and the Tribe to negotiate. Several members of the Board of Fish were really anxious to get us to agree on some kind of a a way to move forward so that they didn't have to make a decision that would harm one group or another. And so they were asking us to negotiate a settlement in a way that would work for both of us. Trinan says it was a difficult negotiation that happened over a couple of meetings. In some ways, from our perspective, we would have loved to have seen ours pass but we would not have uh, appreciated the Sitka tribe proposals passing. And so we made a, a calculated decision to uh, uh, withdraw our proposals in return for the Sitka tribe withdrawing their proposals. But withdrawing the proposals doesn't mean all is settled. Far from it. While the state insists that the herring population in Sitka Sound has shown steady growth, subsistence harvesters have observed long-term trends in spawning patterns and the habitat that are of serious concern. After the proposals were withdrawn, subsistence advocate Louise Brady told reporters in Anchorage that she remained frustrated with the Board of Fish process. I don't think that the board is an effective forum. because we are not a user group. This has nothing to do with economics. It has to do with human rights. Right now, we don't have access to a more appropriate venue, but we will. We will someday. Brady signaled a new course for tribal subsistence advocates who would continue to pursue change at the state level, but were prepared to go further. Brady said that stewardship of the herring is a human right, one that should be protected under the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. We are not going to let the state of Alaska take our precious relatives from us.
We want the herring in the water, that's where they belong. Leave the herring in the water. So we have two years, like we did in 1802, if they follow the cycle. We will go back and we will strategize and we will come back even stronger with even more knowledge. For now, Brady said she would direct her energy toward preparing for the Yaakuik, which happens later this month in Sitka. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has started testing wildlife for COVID-19. As KTOO's Claire Strempel reports, scientists want to make sure a new variant doesn't emerge in animals and then infect people. Don't worry too much about getting COVID-19 from an animal, says Kimberly Beckman, the wildlife health veterinarian for Alaska's Department of Fish and Game. It's more a concern of us infecting wildlife and if wildlife could become a reservoir, but that, that hasn't been shown yet. When she says reservoir, she means the risk is that the virus could take hold in an animal population, mutate, and infect humans with a new variant. In Alaska, biologists are collecting samples from a number of mammals. Moose that live near residential areas, lynx, because they've gotten it in zoos down south, and mustelids, that's wolverines, minks, and martens. There are plans to test caribou and Sitka blacktail deer, as well as seals and belugas in the North Slope Borough. If you're wondering how you test a beluga for COVID-19, yes, they swap the blowhole. For other animals, it's pretty much the same way we do it, with a nasal swab. So we stick it up in both nostrils. We go way deeper. I mean, we go way up to the level of the eye and roll it around and, and then put it in the media, and, and then that gets sent to the, to the lab. Beckman says other states have tested nuisance bears as well. We will probably do the same, um, but the bears haven't come out of hibernation yet, so we haven't uh, had the opportunity to, to sample any bears. But bears that have been exposed to human garbage would certainly be at a, an elevated risk. Beckman says the state has submitted over 100 samples to a national lab for testing, but hasn't gotten many results back yet. She says an avian influenza outbreak on the East Coast is keeping labs busy. David Sawfeld is an Anchorage-based wildlife biologist who added COVID-19 testing to his regular field work this winter. He live traps wolverines and lynx with walk-in traps that don't harm the animals. Then he sedates them so he can collect samples like nasal swabs and a blood draw. It'd be not a ton of animals, say two or three wolverine and say seven or eight lynx that I sampled. There's currently no evidence that COVID-19 can be passed by handling or eating wild game meat. Beckman says hunters should use the same precautions as always. Wear gloves, clean knives, and don't touch any weird tissue. Hunters can report sick animals or strange behavior to Fish and Game. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strempel. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.